This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Hello and welcome to this Westwards mini masterclass. I'm James Roy, I'm your host. Today I'm talking to Tim Harris, the best-selling author of a number of books, including a short story collection, Exploding Endings, four of the Mr. Bambuckle's Remarkables books, and also Toffle Towers. Today I'm talking to Tim about setting, how he approaches setting, and why it's important in your writing. Tim, how are you, man? You good? I'm pretty good, James. How are you? Look, I'm all right. You're all home isolated and got the kids doing things that probably wouldn't normally get to do on school days, I guess. Oh, I'm hanging out for when we can watch Back to the Future as a family. It's like the ultimate home homeschooling adventure, really. So, so you're actually enforcing the school year. You're not doing any of that stuff until it's actually school holidays. <laughs> uh, look, we are, James. So the kids are all learning um, online at the moment. It's a lot of screen time. It really is. Um, so that our breaks involve playing cricket in the backyard and going for walks around the trampoline. That's that's the extent of it. When you say walks around the trampoline, do you mean walks around on the trampoline or walks around (laughs) the the trampoline? Yeah, around, actually around the trampoline, around the perimeter. Um, That's our our desperate, um, you know, chasing of exercise. You know what? I think there's uh, there's a lot of opportunities for kids in this sort of thing to, um, you know, you give them a, a camera, a video camera, you know, any camera that records video and, Tell them to go off and make a nature documentary in the backyard or, or a travel show or whatever. And there's all sorts of fun opportunities for them, don't you think? Yeah, boredom, boredom breeds creativity. Does it? Yeah, I think I've seen that one floating around. <laughs> You're obviously not bored, James. <laughs> oh, and I'd like a bit more boredom in my life right at the moment. But anyway, so here we go. So um, today we're talking about setting. Tell us about setting. What, what sort of um, settings do you explore in your books? You've got a, a variety of settings. I think, I guess, the main one is in a in a classroom, which is very familiar for for most of your read or all of your readers. Um, but tell us about the settings that you've explored in your books. Yeah, so there are different settings for the different books uh, and different stories within those books as well. Um, and by that, I mean Mr. Bambuckle's Remarkables has uh, a one main plot, which is the classroom, but then within the book there's also um, a whole lot of sub-stories, each with their own setting. For example, one of the students in Mr Bambuckle's class has a story which is mostly set in her basement. Um, it's about a, a washing machine that's been tormenting her. And so the settings um, for that particular book, it was a it was quite um, a tricky thing to do, jumping between the different locations. Uh, so that was that was an interesting one to explore because it did leap around so much. Uh, for Toffle Towers, this one was probably uh, my hardest one to, to approach because I'd never written a whole book in uh, third person um, past tense. So my first two series were all a lot of short stories um, from first person. But being writing in third person, and writing one main story meant that I had to put a, a lot of extra thoughts into the setting, um, and that included creating a, a fictional town, uh, the town of the name of Allendale. Um, and actually, I gave it the name Allendale because my grandparents used to 
have an orange farm near North Richmond and it was called Allendale. So it was a little bit of a sentimental um, naming there. Yeah, so, yeah, starting the town and then um, and getting smaller. And I'll talk about this a bit later on, how it's sometimes starting big and then zooming down can really help the reader kind of position where things are. Um, but then we get to the hotel. Toffle Towers is a hotel. And so that setting was very important to to get right because the reader really needed to know what the hotel looked like, um, the spacings, the types of rooms, how many stories, and then but we I, get but right I've down seen to how the- much I've seen how much touring you do, um, Tim. And I, I, you've never stayed in a hotel like that, have you? You, you only stay in five star um, Sofitels and Novotels, <laughs> right? Uh, that, look, let's let's organise a tour if that's the case. <laughs> I'll be up for that. Interesting setting in Toffel Towers is also actually one of the characters' heads, and I had a lot of fun um, thinking about the brain as a setting and exploring the creative side of the imagination and the logical side of the imagination and using that as a place where ridiculous conversations could could come out of it. It's kind of a bit of a, um, a play on that whole, you know, I guess the, the old trope of having the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder and, and arguing back and forth. Was that something that you played with there? Exactly, exactly right. And that created a bit of a ping pong effect as well between those two voices that's um it's interesting that you make the brain a setting i mean that that reminds me of course of, of inside out the the pixar film where you know pixar did that amazing thing where they the old joke of course was that pixar thought you know what if what if toys had feelings and then what if fish had feelings and then what if feelings had feelings and then that became inside out <laughs> um but yeah so that's an interesting thing you know and we'll, we might talk about uh that a little bit more in a little while so why do you think setting so important in um in a book setting it really is important isn't it because look if you compare a book setting to the setting you might see in a film or a television show um the hard work well the visual work has been done um in a tv or movie in other words you watch you watch something and you are almost force-fed what things are going to look like because it's done. But the setting in a book or a story, it doesn't matter how long it is. And I know um, most of the people listening will be writing stories that might be one or two pages long. But the setting is going to help the reader imagine what you want them to see. It's going to give your characters um, a place to act and a place for them to tell their story. Um, and, you know, and there are classic examples of how, how you can do this with your story. And a lot of, and I'll use movies as a reference because I know a lot of the people listening might be familiar with some of these um, examples. Um, the classic example is is the nighttime setting um, for a tense or scary scene. And you look at, you know, like Jurassic Park has a very iconic scene where the T Rex has just been, uh, it's sort of just escaped its enclosure. It's nighttime. Then it starts to rain, so we have that setting now is is the worst possible time to be outside, um, and it's just the bad weather. Yeah, the interesting thing about Jurassic Park 2, that setting that you're talking about, is that there's all these opportunities and something I talk about a lot in writing is opportunities and the opportunity you have when there's all that mud as well. For So it's not only wet and, and cold and hostile, then you've got yeah. that giant paw, the giant claw stepping into that mud and the mud squelches out, which suddenly gives you this really clear understanding of how damn heavy and big this thing is it's not just like a little foot it's this huge thing but anyway it's a little sidebar on on the opportunities that come out of setting but no that that is a really good sidebar actually and there's a if um if there's any um kids listening who really love 
like a good challenging read. There's a book called Toby Alone by a French author, Timothy de Fonbel, and the whole story is about a one millimetre high boy who lives in a giant oak tree. Um, but as you were saying, the op- then the opportunity, um, there's this whole world to explore and it's just the most incredible example of setting in a book I think I've ever read. Okay, so you're talking about um, you're talking about Jurassic Park and the hostile environment of the night time. Yeah, so it, what it does is it it helps the reader because the story um, the story comes to life because the setting is actually playing a role. The setting almost becomes another character um, in helping you know helping tell the story, and so that is an important thing for young writers to plan. And a lot of our listeners might not have been familiar with this and that would be a shame but um tom sawyer and huckleberry finn those books by mark twain the river is a really important character in 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 that so the setting has become a a character it's this sort of huge um presence that flows through the state and carries things along and it rather than you moving through that landscape the landscape kind of moves past you in a sense yeah yeah that's a good example so setting's important because why we're going to summarize that for us Yep, so in summary, setting is important because firstly it helps the reader imagine, it helps set up um, the base of the story and so once the characters are introduced or start moving around, the reader can very clearly picture what's going on. So that's the first one is helping, you know, helping establish imagination for the reader and second of all, um, it can help tell the story and it can help um, bring forth emotions in the story, whether that be fear or whether that be peace or tranquility or or whatever the writer's trying to do. Okay, so when you when you come up with a setting and you go, okay, this is going to be a story that's set on a bus trip or the kids are on an excursion to a, and they're on the bus, how do you plan that setting, for example? Or you might want to give me a different example if there's one that's better. Yeah, no, I can actually um, use that exact example. Uh, in the third Mr. Van Buckle book, uh, the students go on a bus trip. and That sounds like a ex- setup, but I didn't know that, right? <laughs> Genius, James Roy. I know. I know. Uh, he does his research, guys. He does his research. Yeah, so this is a really great question because some of it was planned and then some of it was unplanned. So I knew that the students had to get to the campsite and I needed to set up a few plot points and I needed them actually to be on a bus to do that because the the information had to be conveyed before they arrived to the campsite. So the setting of the bus was planned. Um, What it looked like on the inside came across as very minor details. So we had things like describing where the actual students were sitting, who were sitting at the front and who were sitting at the back. But the setting then started to shift to the outside of the bus and so things like suddenly the, the houses were thinning, um, the trees were becoming thicker and then there was a river. And so it, it helped the reader realise, oh, there's a transition here. We've moved away from the school and now we're, we're starting to get to our campsite. And I think, I think that's kind of neat actually when you say that, you know, the, the part of it was planned and part of it was um, unplanned because that's sort of the nature of a, of a bus trip anyway, isn't it? You've got the planned aspects, but then all the stuff that happens on that bus trip is completely unplanned. You'd know this having been a teacher. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And so the plan, the plan part was the movement part and the plan part was what some of the characters need to, um, some of the information they need to convey to the reader. But it left a lot of room and a lot of freedom to 
put some humour into that particular scene with some of the banter between the students, um, but also it left a bit of freedom with how to describe the scenery changing as well and, and how to help the reader imagine. So I actually didn't plan. There was a little stone bridge um, and I never actually planned that there would be a stone bridge, but it just seemed to lend itself to, hey, let's get the bus um, really getting close to the campsite now and perhaps to signal that we can, you know, cross over something. So the river became a metaphor, essentially, in a way that this is now, this is where the main story kicks in. It's separate from the other books now because we've crossed that bridge. Yeah, no, so it's not even a, necessarily a, a deep exploration of the setting there. It's you're actually using the setting as a, well, you use the word metaphor, but I guess it also just... It, it's a, a clue to the reader that things have changed and we're now in the new space. It's sort of like a cut of a scene in a, in a film almost, isn't it? Very much so. That's a good way to describe it. Um, it is that, that transitioning into a different, um, yeah, different scene. And when you sat down, when you say you planned that, did you actually sit down and plan that, that transition that way or was it something that you'd planned subconsciously and, and it, you put on the page or did you actually sit down and go, now I need these things to occur at this stage and this has to happen? Because I'm not sure yeah. if you're are you a planning kind of writer anyway, or are you a, a, a yeah, Def, definitely a planning writer. So the scenes were mapped out with post-it notes. So I had one scene that's uh, a post-it note that simply said um, bus trip to campsite, and then on that post-it note it had you know character A needs to let we need to know that character A is in love with character B or whatever the little subplot was that needed to get across so that that was very explicitly planned and then the next post-it was the campsite so I knew that there that you know this is where the main story starts to take over so the gap between the two post-it notes ended up turning into the description of the bridge and the descriptions of the scenery changing outside. Um, and so I think because that was um, unplanned in description, it sort of it let me be quite free with, you know, how the description or how the setting would actually be described, things like this, you know, the sparkling water on the river, things like the trees are getting taller um, and the little details like that to help the reader imagine. So you, you mentioned earlier that um, you were talking about the difference between, uh, and you said you're going to come back to this, the difference between your big picture setting and your minor details or is that the way you described it or, um, you know, yeah. distant shots and close shots if you want to think about it in a filmic kind of way? Yeah, very much so. This is exactly um, where that happened in the book. And as soon as we arrive at the campsite um, in that third Bambuckle book, um, we do start with the with the broad shot, the wide shot. So we talk about, um, you know, how there's a big grassy area. So we, we were starting big, how there are trees surrounding the grassy area. And then slowly it starts to zoom in how there's, you know, one main tree in the middle. And this is where a lot of the story takes place underneath the main tree, um, how there's room for the students to set up their tents. And by narrowing it down and zooming in on those details, um, it makes it a lot easier for the reader to start to put that jigsaw together in their head. You've kind of described the way you zoom the camera in, if you like, but as you're going through that process of zooming in or zooming out or whatever, you've still got to be able to describe this to the reader without um, feeling like, you know, you're being obvious, you know, big, the big tree, the little blade of grass, the tiny grasshopper like they, these are very basic simple kinds of ways of speaking and, and writing and and i think anyone listening will recognize that 
you've got to give a little bit more than that as a writer. How, how does, do these two things work together, this setting thing and the way you use description? They certainly do. Um, and you're right, it, it shouldn't be too obvious because there is a point where you can, you can be overly descriptive um, and I find that that slows the pace of a story. Uh, if you're describing too much, the, lo- the reader could lose a bit of interest because they're thinking, well, come on, you know, get on with it. I just want to know what's happening with the story. And so the balance there, I think, is giving enough information, enough description to help the reader imagine what it looks like without going into too much because one of the joys of reading is imagining what it's going to look like yourself and, and using the clues from the writer to build your own worlds. Um, and I find by over-describing, you, you take that away from the reader. I think you're also um, being a little bit coy there because it's also one of the great joys of being a writer, isn't imagining how it would look sort of forming it in your head. I mean, at the end of the day, as writers, we have a God complex. We want to create things, don't we? And so isn't that the joy of being a writer as well? It certainly is. Um, And I should also clarify that so my books would be about 25,000 words long, which it might sound like a lot to the, the, the students listening, but actually it's not a huge amount. You know, a lot of, a lot of, books that are quite descriptive might go for 70 or, or even 100,000 words. And so part of my process is not to put too much description in because suddenly I'm losing word count for the for the main plot. Um, but, no, you're, you're right. It is a very enjoyable thing because you part of describing is you're building the world, you're in control, and as you said, it's like the God complex in a way. Um, you know, you are the creator of these characters and this world um, and we, we want the reader to understand this world that we've created. You don't run at the same pace all the time with this description, though, do you? I mean, certainly sometimes don't you have to slow down a bit if you're building tension or, or, or whatever? Yeah, you, you certainly can. And um, by by putting in that extra description, whether it's setting or something else, you can ease the reader away from a particularly important scene that might be coming up. Um, and often it, that might be described as uh, the calm before the storm hits and a great way to, to put in some calm is to give a bit of a description. So I imagine if we use that Jurassic Park example again, I imagine the script writers would have had a lot of fun um, envisaging, well, how can we describe this setting? Yeah, let's get the mud on the ground. It's going to be raining um, and there's going to be it's going to be night time and it's going to be, oh, let's get thunder and lightning. And, and by putting all this stuff in, they're slowing the arrival of the T-Rex. So when it does come, it has a lot more impact. But who was the smart aleck who thought, Let, let's put him in the porter potty, the portaloo, <laughs> and then the T Rex is going to chomp him while he's in the portaloo? That, that, uh, that's I, that's I the ultimate indignity, that, isn't it, to get eaten by a T Rex while you're in a porter potty? Uh, it's the worst as well. Yeah. Uh, and he was even reading the newspaper, I think. There's, <laughs> the, there's the small detail. Was he? Now, I'm, we're going to wrap up in a tick, but I've got to put you on the spot. Um, uh, what's the best? What's the best bit of description setting that you think you've ever come up with? I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples, not from my work, but from other people's work. One of them would be Cloud Street by Tim Winton. He describes the house as a, that the two families live in this big old house as a shuddering old weatherboard joint bouncing around on its stumps, which sort of indicates that it's old and it's a bit, bit crooked and there's a lot of life in that place. And yeah. the, other, the other example I'd give is one of my favourite examples of description. It's less, I guess maybe it's not really setting, but it's from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where he says yeah. that the Vogon ships hung in the air like bricks don't. 
no. which is just just genius. So have you got have you got your favorite bit of setting description that you can share with us? Or one of them? Yeah, okay. So I'm just actually I've picked up Toffel Towers. Um and yeah, so when Chegwin first arrives at Toffel Towers, it, it was such an important scene because um Here's a 10-year-old boy who's just about to become the boss of a hotel and I had to be pretty careful with the way I describe this because I wanted the reader to know a couple of things. I wanted the reader to know that Toffel Towers um, had once been grand but it was not so much at the moment. Um, And the other thing I wanted the reader to know um, was the physical description as well of of it being grand. So we have... um, The imposing limestone building was symmetrical in design with two three-storey wings spreading out from either side of a main tower. The first thing Chegwin noticed was the curtains were all drawn, giving the hotel a dark, tired feel. The main tower must have once been home to a bell, though it had now been replaced with an orange wheelbarrow, which was hanging by some rope, and Chegwin couldn't help but wonder how it got there. And um, and the wheelbarrow that was the quirkiness that the hotel needed as well. Yeah, I, I like um, yeah. I like I really like the way you've used the curtains there and and made the because we know that a hotel can't be tired, but you've made it feel like it is, and that it's it's a nice efficient use of I'm, I'm giving you compliments now. It's a nice efficient use of just a very simple line to from now on. Of course, every time you you re, you think about the hotel, you think about it being like that because you set that up nice and early in the description well tim harris thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about setting um you get the opportunity to have a plug of your website at the end of these so what's your website the link to the website is www.timharrisbooks.com and there are also links on the website through to my facebook and instagram page Beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having a chat with us and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, James. 